I guess I got to call this episode 70 since I ran a best of last week. And by the way, you you all listened to it. <laughs> I mean, a lot of you did. Uh, the numbers were barely off from the week before. And I appreciate that support. So let's just call this episode 70. I guess from now on, I've got to start my show by saying episode 70. Convention week, baby. And the president's gone postal. Let's start the show. We are now the defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity. You and I as citizens have the obligation to shape the debates of our time, not only with the votes we cast, but with the voices we lift. The people are looking for honest answers, not easy answers. The very word secrecy is repugnant. Clear leadership. And we are as a people. Not false claims and evasiveness and politics as usual. Opposed to secret society. But ours was a nation of the battle. Not the bullet. And a secret procedure. As a people, we cannot afford to let any group of citizens or any individual citizens live or labor under conditions which are injurious to the commonwealth. Black, white, Latino, Asian, Native American, young, old, gay, straight, men, women, folks with disabilities, all pledging allegiance under the same proud flag to this big, bold country that we love. That's what I see. That's the the America I know. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. There is nothing wrong with America that cannot be cured by what is right with America. Yes, the convention starts this week. I guess uh, I'll talk a little bit about that later, but let me start by talking about the president and his hatred of the mail. The mail never stops. Newman. I I, uh, I don't get it. I, no, sorry. I do get it. The man is singularly focused on how he can call this election corrupt and fixed, rigged, whatever else he wants to do, even though... He votes by mail, and most of his administration votes by mail. And a lot of people over the age of 65 who should be voting for him would probably vote by mail, but I think that they think it's not patriotic, so we'll see what happens, right? If it's raining, they might not come in. If it's snowing, they might not come in. If it's COVID-19, <laughs> they won't come in. Uh, I mean, I, I look, we got to make sure he's losing on election night. Okay, so if you live in a state that's in play, I think you gotta you gotta suck it up and go vote in per- person. And I, and I'm not saying this because I think he should have a different set of rules than everybody else. I, I don't believe that. Look, the election's going to be called when it's called, and states will certify the elections when they certify the elections. But I don't want to deal with the nonsense that we're going to have to deal with for two weeks while they're counting votes. If this guy's ahead by even one vote. On election night. So, you know, I would like to go to bed on election night where Donald Trump has said, we're going to wait till all the votes are cast before we concede, because I think that that's as much of a possibility as this guy winning on election night, uh, leading, I should say, on election night. I want to go to bed on election night where this guy's already losing and we now have to count all the absentee ballots. And by the way, I think that's as likely a scenario as any other. He's messing with the mail. His people could go on TV all they want. Mark Meadows was on all the Sunday shows this weekend saying that they're not messing with the mail. The mail can handle it. What are you talking about? We do 7 billion pieces of mail a day. What's 100 million more? I get it. 
this president is going to do whatever it takes to win. He'll cheat. He'll he'll look. Article one, section eight of the United States Constitution talks about the post office. This guy's out there trying to say the post office is losing money. The po- saying the post office is losing money is like saying the army loses money, saying like the Department of Transportation loses money. It's a service that our country provides. And yes, I get it in the 1970s. They decided that the post office was going to be self-sufficient. And then Congress doesn't let them raise the price of stamps. So, you know, for all those people out there saying that the post office is autonomous or independent, it's not. The United States Congress sets the price of stamps. It also gave them this ridiculous pension requirement that forces them to fund pensions for 75 years for every employee. Now, I don't know who's going to work 30 years and then stay alive for 75 years. Uh, I mean, that would be the oldest person ever to live. And it is nowhere near the pension requirement of any other pension. But that's the postal pension because they wanted to get rid of pensions, you see. They wanted everything to be in 401k. These conservatives, it's all about their ideology. So the president's attacking the mail. We shouldn't let him attack the mail. We should push back. We are pushing back. The Congress, look, Nancy Pelosi is going to bring back Congress this weekend to talk about this. I say this, no bills without everything we want in it. And I think it's important that we save the post office. I really do. And I think maybe that could be a standalone bill. But I don't want to give him anything else. I don't want to give him money for anything else unless he agrees to everything. It's worse for him than it is for us. And I know, you know, that is not, you know, paying attention to the millions of people who are suffering in this country. I just find it hard to believe that this guy's going to fix anything. So it's in his interest to have a bill passed. The Democrats passed a a $3 trillion bill. And I'm not saying it has to be $3 trillion, Nancy. I, I think we could come to $2 trillion, but no way. Do we go all the way to the Senate's $1 trillion? No way do we give up things that are important to us, like the post office, like you know, securing our elections, which I think should be of utmost priority to every American, Democrat, Republican, or Independent. The president is clearly afraid of being a failure, which he is. And he doesn't want the elected. Look, this guy doesn't like to be judged by normal people. And what will this election be? It will be normal people judging him. Judging him not on the campaign he run or the ran or the promises he kept four years ago. No, but on the job he's done as president of the United States. A job that I think, look, you all know what I think. You listen to me every week. A job that he knows. Forget about what I think or what you think. This president knows that he has not delivered for this country. He hasn't even delivered on his signature promises of building a wall and having Mexico pay for it or even ending stupid wars, a promise I would have liked for him to keep. And now with COVID-19 and the collapse of our economy, he has clearly failed. And it doesn't take me to say it. He knows it. And he doesn't want you to judge him because his entire life He has never been judged by normal people. He has never had a situation where, you know, some guy who drives a truck got to choose whether he was a success or failure. And if he ever failed in anything in his life, his daddy bailed him out. There's no daddy to bail him out here. 
Now it's up to the American people to go up or down, yes or no. He's in the boardroom on The Apprentice, and he was the project manager, and he's really concerned that the American people who are playing the part of Mr. Trump in this scenario will say you're fired. So he's going to do everything he can to stop us from exercising our votes. And and trust me, we have, you know, 80, 79 days left before the election. There will be lots thrown at our ability to vote by this man over the next 70 so days. He will do everything he can to keep people who he believes will not support him from voting. And, and trust me, Mr. Trump, boat parades do not equal votes. They don't. I mean, you know, whatever. Uh, a lot of boats out there with your flags on them, and I guess the news covers it when it happens. But uh, I don't think that that's who's mad right now. I mean, it's the guy who had to sell his boat because he lost his job due to COVID-19 that you didn't stop from coming here from China that you should be worried about. And there probably are as many of those as people out on the water with your stupid flag. So get ready. This guy is going to throw everything he can at our ability to vote. Vote by mail is just one of the many obstacles. I'm telling you right now, if you're able, if you're willing, go out and vote in person. And I get it. It's going to be hard to hold elections in person this year, not because people are not willing to vote. I mean, I, I'm, I'm willing to vote. I'm willing to go vote in person. But I also know who sits at the polling places on Election Day. They are people in their you know, 60s and 70s and 80s even, retirees, who you know, work at the polls a couple days a year when there are elections. It's something to do. So I would imagine many of them don't want to risk their life in retirement now for this. And that's where the problem is going to lie. We're going to have to consolidate polling places. Lines are going to get longer. It's going to be an issue. But I'm telling you right now, we've got to persevere through whatever he throws at us. We've got to fight it legally where there's an opportunity to do it. But where there's no opportunity to do it, this party, these people, the people who want the coalition of the decent need to come together and they need to get out and they need to vote. And probably in person in most cases. I know in New Jersey, they're mailing out every ballot. I know in New York, you can request an absentee ballot. In many states, you can request absentee ballots. In this state, it's going to take forever. This guy said New York's in play. You know what that meant? That didn't mean he could actually compete in New York. That means he thinks on election night, when 60% of the ballots might be absentee, he thinks he's going to be winning on election night in New York State. And he will claim New York State as a victory. If he is, and I'm not going to let him, I live here in New York state. For those of you who don't know, I am not going to let him. You shouldn't let him either. He's a despicable human being. He doesn't want to be judged by everyday people, but judgment day is coming, baby. November 3rd is coming. It's coming quick. We got to judge him. Don't let anything stop you from judging him. Don't let anything stay. If you got to vote by mail, vote by mail. And I'm not casting aspersions on you. Don't think for a second that I am saying there's anything wrong with voting by mail. I think it's great. I think it, I think we should have universal vote by mail in this country. We should do everything we can in this country to make voting easier 
And that should be the number one thing Democrats do when they take power in January. But we got to get power back from this man and Mitch McConnell. We got to wrestle it out of their hands, which means we've got to fight. And if that's the only fight we've got to do this year, then God, let's go do it. We're going to have to. We don't have a choice. We can't let this guy win for even a minute. It will create unrest, I think. He'll do it. He will create unrest. So let's take it to him, America. Let's take him to him during the day of. Let's take it to him by mail. Let's take it to him in the early vote. Let's vote. Get out. Get it done. This guy's gone postal on us. And it's time for us to get him. This is a ridiculous man who will do anything to hold on to power. And there are too many people enabling, enabling him to do that right now. And I, while I do believe ultimately Republicans will not abide by this president, you know, saying that he won when he lost, I do not believe they will say stop the vote. But he'll try. His election strategy is a legal strategy. It's not a really a political strategy. He's got no game. I mean, what's his plan? To say Kamala Harris is not uh, eligible to be vice president? Is that his plan? I mean, I know he's retweeting things like that. And by the way, I didn't even talk about Kamala Harris and how excited I am. You all know, uh, if you've listened to this program, you've all know that I have been excited about her on the national stage for a while. Thought she would have been a good top of the ticket. So seeing her as number two makes me extremely happy and should make you happy too because she's going to do a fantastic job. Kamala Harris is a prosecutor and she's going to prosecute this guy. This guy needs to be prosecuted. But we all need to prosecute him ourselves. We need to judge. We need to be the judge and jury of this president and we need to vote him out and we got to do it however we have to do it. However we think our vote's going to matter. So that's my pitch. I believe in vote by mail. I believe in the Postal Service. I was a stamp collector as a kid, believe it or not. Um, always had great relationships with my mail, mail carriers. I think they're fantastic. I think they work really hard. I think the, the American mail is a, it's a miracle. I mean, how, you know, when it's working, which it's not right now because this guy's tampering with it. You could put a stamp on a piece of paper and it could be in California the next day. I don't even know how that happens. It's amazing to me. You ever, you ever try to mail something from Italy? I, you know, I, I was in Italy last summer and I mailed something home. It got, it got here two weeks after I did. So it's a little crazy. All right, I got a great guest coming up, Matt Welsh. So for those of you who may, may live in the New York metropolitan area know I do a radio show on WABC, uh, 77 WABC on Saturdays. And um, two Saturdays ago, I started talking about some libertarians I debate on Fox and how I think they're just conservatives who like to smoke weed. Now, Matt Welsh is a true libertarian. He's got a true libertarian viewpoint. And I had Matt on my, uh, on my syndicated show last week. And uh, you definitely want to hear Matt's interview. He's a great guy. So listen to this uh, and, and, and listen to what he has to say about Trump, which you're going to love. Uh, listen to this and, uh, I'll be back to wrap up the show at the end. And again, thank you so much for sharing this broadcast with your friends and family and, and on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, don't forget to tag me at Christopher Hahn if you do. Uh, I love it. It's Christopher Hahn NY on Instagram at Christopher Hahn on Twitter. And all right, listen to the, uh, commercials and then listen to the interview. Be right back. 
Joining me now, Matt Welsh. He's been on this show before. Matt and I have done a lot of TV before together. He is, uh, I think, probably the clearest voice of libertarianism in America. A guy who I've done Red Eye with and some other shows on Fox News. You've seen him there. You've also seen him on the Bill Maher Show, Real Time, which uh, I always enjoy his appearances on there. Matt, how you doing? Uh, thank you so much. I'm doing great. That's a really sweet intro. Thank you. It's nice to hear your voice. Well, it's nice to hear your voice, too, because I, you know, I was thinking about you the other day because I had this conversation on. I, I have a, a radio show on another network um, that, I, that, I, that I do on the weekends, and we were talking about libertarians on, on Fox and how most of them, not you, of course, but most of them that I encounter on Fox, they seem to just be younger Republicans who like to smoke weed, and that's their libertarianism. And I feel like they're just still with Trump, even though, I mean, the atrocities of this administration towards liberty, I can't even express anymore. I, I would, that's not the experience that I've had with libertarians, uh, to be sure. Uh, not to talk out of school about my brethren over at Reason, um, but it's generally not a fan club of Donald Trump. Uh, no, I mean, if you, if you judge him by the stuff that libertarians traditionally have cared about, and you can even do this by setting the clock back to February 1st or whatever your or February yeah. 29th when we had the first coronavirus death. Okay, how is this record between there and there? He increased, under his signature, under his Sharpie, he increased uh, annual government spending uh, from Barack Obama's last budget, which is around $3.85 trillion. It's up to $4.79. He increased it by $1 trillion. Yeah annual spending in the federal government. That was supposed to be a thing that mattered. We went already to trillion-dollar annual deficits, which was a cause for protests all over the country uh, back in 2009 and 2010 for understandable reasons, in my uh, point of view, Um, although that was in response to a financial crisis. Right. You might say that you don't like Barack Obama's and the Democratic Congress's response to financial crisis. In fact, I don't. However, let's acknowledge that there was one. Right. Trump went ahead and jacked up spending and jacked up the deficit um, with no crisis at the tail end of a historically long economic expansion and Wall Street boom. Who does that? I, not anybody who believes in libertarianism, that's for sure. <laughs> no, and, and also, I mean, his record on immigration, I mean, immigration splits all political blocks in the world. And right. libertarians are not different in that. But generally speaking, libertarians believe in the free movement of people and the free labor of people to, to have the fruits of their labor as well. And he has been so god-awful on this, intentionally trying to split up families at the border as a way to dissuade people from coming, slashing in ways that we haven't really even talked about too much as a country because a lot of these rules only went into effect this year. Right. They cut down family uh, chain, or he calls it chain, but family migration here. So let's think about what that means. It means that I am here. I am a U.S. citizen. I've naturalized myself. I've now become a citizen. I want my spouse to be able to come here. I want my child who lives in the Philippines, or I want my parents to come here and look after my kids. Uh, you can't do that. Right. Or if you come basically from a semi-poor country, which is most of the world still, or if you're, uh, if, if, uh, uh, the people coming in uh, are not of working age and don't have a college degree. Um, so that's shut down. That's 86% of immigration shut down. He shut down uh, refugee intake to historic lows. We'd never seen lows like this before at a time when the global refugee population in six years doubled. You know what I love about you? You're consistent, 
right? I mean, you you have a point of view. It is a libertarian point of view, which I agree with some. Uh, but the thing I, I can't ever fault you with is you're not changing your libertarianism because of who's in power. You you have a central point of view. And I have been having debates with people who claim to be libertarians who are still backing Trump, even in the face of him sending federal troops into a city without being invited, which, you know, it's bonkers to me. I, I understand the, uh, I think, correct impulse to look at a place like Portland and say to the mayor there, Ted Wheeler, what the hell are you doing? Right. You're like, take care of your own place. Right. You're, you're crazy. You know, they're, they're having a mayoral election there. A literally pro-Antifa candidate uh, is one of the leading candidates. Yeah. It, it, and I'm, I'm, you know, my parents are from Portland. I have skin in the game there. It drives me nuts. So you can see that. But you don't see it like, oh, you know what? Let's send, I don't know, the Border Patrol. Yeah, and and unmarked border patrol guys with no name badges, no badges of, of any kind, and let's uh, rent some minivans from Hertz and and just throw people in them. Ayn Rand, who I'm no fan of at all because she, I think she wrote terribly, uh, and I think she elevated selfishness into this sort of like, hey, oh yeah, I'm being selfish guy. But she has a great quote about um, uh, racism, uh, which is that um, you know when you have sort of negative. Uh, racism is, is the worst kind of collectivism. And as a former you know, Soviet Union you know, refugee, more or less, she hated collectivism more, most of all. And she pointed out that if you engage in sort of negative assumptions about people based on their immutable characteristics, you are engaging in this horrifying negative yeah. collectivism. What has Donald Trump been doing his whole life, but certainly ever since he escalated down, <laughs> escalated down into our lives? Um, <laughs> He has been engaging in this. He's been saying that this judge over here can't judge fairly because of his Mexican heritage. Yeah. He's saying you come from an asshole country over there. He's saying this week that I'm going to protect you, oh, suburban housewife. Yeah. The poors who are coming in. I mean, it is direct uh, impacts on people's lives, negative impacts. And he's playing to negative collective generalizations about people, which is just absolute dynamite. And I don't mean that in the Jimmy Walker way. It's, yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's fuel. It's, it's, it's awful to do in this country in particular. And he does it constantly. Just today he was talking about Kamala Harris. Like, I don't know. I don't think she's, uh, you know, some smart legal scholar said that maybe she's not qualified to be, be a president of the United States. Right. A, not a smart legal scholar at all. Um, B, you're the president. He's the president. A better job. Right. He does that on a daily basis in a way that should absolutely offend the sensibilities, I, I think, of every libertarian. I don't understand. Forget about libertarians. I don't understand how anybody is still with this guy. Uh, but I guess, you know, the worst losers in American history still got 40% of the vote. Uh, you know, Walter Mondale, Herbert Hoover. These are all blowout elections. They got 40% of the governor. vote. Yeah, McGovern got 40% of the vote. These are like big, huge blowout elections we think of. And, and I look at the polls and I see them getting 40%. I'm like, who are these people? <laughs> it's like... Well, there are people... I mean, that's, it is a good question. And I uh, on occasionally will flirt with a, a similar frustration. But they are people who are voting against the bad guys on the other side. Yeah. And what they perceive of as the bad guys on the side. It's negative polarization. We have to stop... Antifa from winning into the White House. Yeah, Antifa, because Joe Biden is all about Antifa. It's like, I, I mean, it's like the Democrats nominated the least likely to be uh, Antifa man of the year person they could find. Two of them, actually, now, because she was a prosecutor. I mean, it's just crazy. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's canny politics. Um, it, it makes it really kind of difficult to campaign against them on that, those levels. Unfortunately for me, because, again, I'm kind of a libertarian, uh, Kamala Harris's record is... Uh, 
as Attorney General of California, not good from a civil libertarian point of view, even if uh, she's flip-flopped on a whole lot of those issues. Yeah. And Joe Biden, you know, used to brag about how his fingerprints were on every single tough-on-crime bill for decades in Capitol Hill. Um, you know, you could see the name, Joe Biden. Yeah. That's what he was saying. So, like, I don't like many, most of those laws, and at a time when criminal justice reform is really on the on the tip of a lot of people's tongues, and as it has been for with libertarians for a long time, that is distressing uh, to me on some level. I hear you. All right. Matt Welsh, one of the best minds in libertarianism in this country. Uh, we've all been watching him. We also, what's your Twitter handle, Matt? Just at Matt Welsh, M-A-T-T-W-E-L-C-H. He, he's, he's one of, uh, you know, every time I've ever done, uh, I used to do this show uh, called Red Eye, and they used to always tweet at me, more Matt Welsh, less Chris Hahn. <laughs> I get it all the time. Like, like somehow they were like choosing between me and you. Like we're the same person. I'm like, Matt's this, you know, handsome libertarian and I'm this like funny looking liberal. It's liberal and libertarian. They're two different things. <laughs> so. Fun fact about the uh, libertarian uh, presidential candidate, Joe Jorgensen, who no one's heard of before, including libertarians, although she ran as a vice presidential nominee in 1996. But anyways, I moderated a debate with them um, uh, uh, several months ago and um, and it was fine. And then afterwards, she came up to me. It's like, you are on red eye. <laughs> love red eye. Total like red eye groupie, like wanted to know all the dish behind the scenes. It, it was a great, great show. Like, I don't understand. It didn't cost them anything to make that show. I mean, it was just fun. We'd come in there. We would have an hour of just back and forth. It was usually, you know, a couple of different political views and, and, and then a couple comedians. It was fun. It was great. I loved it. Uh, fun, and, you know, they, they're on, what, 3 o'clock in the morning yeah. back then, and they would uh, routinely do better at 3 o'clock in the morning on uh, Fox News than the prime timeline for CNN. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Huge, huge following, and somehow they decided that they don't need that anymore. But I guess I guess it was breaking news all the time, and they didn't want to have to, like, keep canceling. It was getting canceled. It was getting postponed a lot. Yeah, so. and, and Greg Gutfeld moved on to his own show. So Yeah, 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 yeah. But I, I thought Tom Shalhoub did okay. I thought Tom Shalhoub was pretty good uh, at, at hosting that show, but who knows? Maybe they'll bring it back someday. Maybe we'll still be doing TV back then, but who knows? But let's, let me, how's it going in Brooklyn right now during this pandemic? I, I, I've been hearing reports that Brooklyn's been okay. Uh, we're doing great in our neighborhood. I'm great. Uh, no one's doing great, but uh, just in the same way that you know, since New York took this massive hit, and we just read in the New York Times today that the uh, that the uh, death count might be higher than we expected in the country, and including in New York, um, because of excess deaths. Um, so we like already went through it all. Uh, my neighborhood, which is Carroll Gardens in South Brooklyn, brownstones and such, and these you know great commercial streets with old Italian joints yep. or French joints. Um, it's got a lot of street life. Um, you know, it's it's very mom and pop oriented. It's not a lot of big box retail. And there are people in the streets. We're doing stuff. There's bars. It feels 83% normal. But, like, if I go in Manhattan, which I've started to do a little bit to poke around, holy cow, Midtown. It's empty. A graveyard. Yeah. Crazy. And, and the, the tales that I'm hearing from the Upper West Side, I've only went there once, I think, um, are just, like, dystopian uh, fiction. It's terrible. It's so, bad. I've been uh, going in since it started. I've been going into Midtown, Midtown, to uh, one, one Penn Plaza. And, uh, yeah, it's, I, I'd park right across the street from, from Madison Square Garden and walk into my studio there. It was, uh, it was, it was dystopian. Now I'm on the east side. It's a little more normal on the east side than it was in Midtown. No, it reminds me of those, like, 70s, uh, movies of, like, uh, you know, post-nuclear attack. And yeah. 
like Jan Michael Vincent is driving around in a tank and, and yeah. nobody, nobody it's like there. I am legend. It was like I am the first year I went the first week I went in in mid-March. It was like I am legend. The only person I saw on the street was Curtis Lewa. No joke. <laughs> no joke. Right at the Curtis on the street. And then two weeks later, <laughs> we were doing radio there. together. <laughs> it's kind of funny, uh, but it, it's interesting. But I'm glad you're doing OK out there. But let me ask you this. Like as a libertarian, mm-hmm. you're hearing all of these, you know, uh, this talk about, you know, stay home, don't go to work, wear a mask. I mean, how I, and I know you're a conscious person. Uh, you know, how do you how do you square that? Like, is that something the government should be doing? It shouldn't be doing. My uh, worry uh, with the New York government, in particular, city and state, is that it's it's really badly run and capricious and arbitrary. You know, they just uh, shut down my favorite uh, beer garden in possibly the world, the Bohemia uh, uh, beer garden in uh, in uh, Queens and Astoria. Oh yeah, I know it. <laughs> uh, it's great, and it's, yeah. it's like literally a beer garden. It's a place where you go outside. Like of all the things to do that are like probably okay to do it's like the stuff that involves you being outside not right outside. um and so i hate and i hate the way that they change the rules overnight and always do with this sort of sense of of uh condescension as well um so that bothers me i'm not bothered at all by people saying wear your mask you know i don't want right. to be arrested if i walk outside right um i'm wearing the damn mask of course i am you know i'm i and then i'm happy that New York has stopped the spread. Um, it, where the rubber hits the road, and it's very interesting. I've been writing a lot about this. Is uh, what you do with school reopenings? Okay. Yeah, five year old and a twelve year old in the public school system. I want them to reopen um, uh, because I've been looking a lot at the science, and also I went through the experience of having a five year old at home. Yeah, I have a thirteen year old at home, and uh, she's going back. They are going back out here on Long Island. Um, and and like I mean, it's uh, the science is a little bit more dicey with the uh, the teens. Um, uh, and all the, you know, droplet swapping that they're going to be doing yeah. um, and the way that they can spread stuff. But generally speaking, it isn't, they're not catching it. They're not getting sick from it. Um, but that's a huge uh, uh, logistical problem. And the thing that I'm worried about the most, besides the fact that there's just, you know, the halftime uh, school for five-year-olds, that's pretty rough. But, yeah. like, I'm really worried about testing. Like, testing is now getting longer and longer. My wife got tested recently. It took her eight days. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I mean, how how does it get worse? It just doesn't make any sense. Uh, because more, yeah, they got, uh, the pool got uh, mixed with the national testing. More people were testing nationally. It got right. messed up. But, like, we're opening schools. We're going to need to know, like, in real time, like, oh, that person got sick and may or may not have spread it to that person. An eight-day test is not going to get that done. So I'm really afraid, given the kind of bad uh, performance of the local government, that they're not really preparing for that. And, you know, New York City, there's only three of the top 20 cities in the country are reopening their schools, and New York City is one of them. For good reason, yeah. we flattened the curve. We, you know, we killed a lot of people off, horrifyingly. Yeah. Uh, but also, like, the test rate here is super low, and that's great. Um, so I'm, I, you know, I'm scared about New York right now. Um, I, I, I feel the sense of like, I want to be here more than ever. And I'm a Californian at heart, but it's just like, you know, all you people leaving, I get it. Um, but I, you know, I want to stick by this place through such a trauma. We love this place, right? It's where we, it's, this is, look, it's going to come back. It's the greatest city in the world. It, this is, we've been through this before and it's going to be hard. It's going to be a climb. Might be a good time to invest in some real estate in Manhattan in the next couple of years. But Matt, you are the best at Matt Welsh on Twitter. Follow him. I'll be tweeting him out. Matt, we'll see you again real soon, I hope. 
Make sure you check out Matt Welsh on Twitter. Not that he needs my followers. He's got like four times the followers, three times the followers I have. Doing okay, but uh, you should check him out. He's, he's got a lot of interesting things to say. And even if you don't agree with him, he's consistent. His views are consistent. He doesn't adjust them because Trump's president and he's doing something that is not libertarian. A way a lot of people, when I said that uh, libertarians I debate on Fox are just conservative Republicans who like to smoke weed, I was not talking about Matt Welsh. I have no idea if he likes to smoke weed, and he's definitely not a conservative Republican. He's a libertarian, and I there are a lot of things libertarians agree with I agree with. And then there are a lot of things I don't. I mean, I just do believe that the government could solve a lot of problems, and I think it needs to uh, in the next couple of years. Um, so check him out. You know, interesting. The convention uh, started on Monday. I'm not going to get too much into it. I didn't watch too much of it before I did this podcast. And I'm not going to spend next week talking about what happened. But I will say this. I am excited about the ticket. I am excited about Kamala Harris. Uh, and I love watching, you know, Trump and his team flail in how they're going to attack her. They have no idea what to say or what to do about her. She is hard for them to define. And, you know, look, their entire strategy, this campaign so far, to the extent they have a strategy, and I think that's a bit of a stretch even saying they have a strategy because they really have shown no consistent plan or ability to stay on message. But to the extent they've had a, a strategy, it's been this kind of Nixon-esque suburban strategy, which is why I think he pardoned or uh, commuted the sentence of Roger Stone. He needed to be in touch with them during the campaign, where they're basically saying Democrats are coming to destroy the suburbs, right? Look at what's happening in the cities. It's chaos. Well, I mean, the Democrats have nominated Joe Biden, who is pretty moderate and on some things in his career has been somewhat conservative, I would say. And they've also nominated a woman who was a prosecutor and an attorney general before serving, I guess, four years now in the Senate. I feel like she's been in our lives forever, but it's only been about four years uh, that she's been in the U.S. Senate. I, I was aware of her when she was attorney general. I think she was a spectacular attorney general, which is why she became uh, a senator in California. So I don't know how they run that strategy against these two guys. I have said before, and I'll say it again, they haven't adjusted their strategy since Joe Biden has become the nominee. I think they thought they'd be running against Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren, and they were going to say radical left. So now what they're saying is he's a prisoner of the radical left. So if he's a prisoner of the radical left, which I don't think he is, and I think that what they call the radical left, you know, is just nonsense, that there is no real radical left controlling the party. So now that he's he, he's picked a, a running mate who's a former prosecutor, how does that strategy play out? Who buys this? Like, this is the thing about their entire messaging on the right. They, they go through these fits of what Democrats are going to do if they have power. Democrats had power for eight years. They didn't destroy America. In fact, Obama saved America. The economy recovered under Obama. He saved the auto industry. He killed Osama bin Laden. What do we got now? We have a failing economy, a failing, spiraling, out-of-control economy thanks to a virus that this president failed to protect us from and failed to take the right steps to protect the economy during the onbreak of this, uh, the, you know, the outbreak of this virus. I, I mean, where is the rage on the right from that? You, could you imagine if 
Obama was president right now, what they'd be saying, what Sean, what Donald Trump would be saying, how he'd be blaming him. You know, Donald Trump, I, I always quote his tweet, leadership means you're responsible. Even when you're not responsible, you're responsible. He's responsible. No matter how you look at it. So I'm excited about this ticket. I'm excited about our prospects of winning in November. But you got to vote. And if you could vote in person, vote in person. It's just that simple. These guys are going to try to steal it from us. He's going to try to claim victory and create chaos. He's already started. We see it coming. We need to deal with it up front. Souls to the polls. Gathering people, bring them out to vote early in certain states that allow it. You know, Florida, early voting in Florida, there's a lot of it. Go do it. Early voting in Texas, there's a lot of it. Go do it. Early voting in Ohio, not as much, but it's there. Go do it. John Kasich is speaking at the Democratic Convention this week. Why? It's a coalition of the decent America. And I know left and right have, uh, with you know, left and moderate left in this party have a lot, you know, that they don't agree about. But that intramural activity needs to be put on hold till we get rid of this guy that's in the White House right now. If Joe Biden is anything, if he's proven anything in his career, anything in the last couple of weeks, is that he's a guy who will listen to all points of view before making a decision. So let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Let's stop any kind of intramural fighting on the left. And let's get rid of this threat to the republic. I think I called him an enemy to the Republic on Fox last week. I didn't. That probably was a little bit over the top. He's a threat to the Republic, though. Anybody who is going to call into question the legitimacy of an election is a threat to the Republic. Whether his name is Donald Trump or Sean Hannity or anybody else, they are a threat to the Republic. And we need to make sure we don't give them any excuse whatsoever, any excuse whatsoever on election day or election week, election month. We know that it's going to take a while, but I want to be leading the entire time. I want to be leading the entire, I want that lead to grow. I want this president to say, I'm going to wait till all the votes are counted before I concede. That's what I want him to say on election night. Mr. President, you're losing. uh, AP has called Florida for Joe Biden. AP has called Ohio for Joe Biden. And, you know, maybe we're not at 270 yet. Maybe there's a lot of vote outstanding in Michigan or California, New York. I want him to say, I'm going to wait for those votes to be counted before I concede. (laughs) I just, that's what I want. Can you help me make that happen? Can you make that a reality for us? I don't even think it's that far-fetched. I think that he's losing. Big. Bigger than the numbers even suggest. Let's make him, let's make him feel it. Let's make him see it. Let's get out there. Let's get this done. Convention week, baby. It's convention week. We are in the thick of it. By the time I talk to you again, I think there'll be 71 days till the election. That doesn't seem that long to me. I have run 596 straight days. Didn't stop me from gaining 10 pounds during quarantine, which I am now in the process of shedding. So if I seem a little bit on edge tonight, it's because I just started a diet. And boy, could I use a cookie. But I'm not going to have one. (laughs) So... All right, I think it's time for me to remind you, as I always do each week, to seek the truth. Question everything and everyone, America, even me. Seek the truth. I know it's out there, and I know you'll find it if you look for it. And I'll be back here again next week to tell you the truth as I 
see it. I'm Chris Hahn. Thanks again for listening to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast.